All right, guys, we're back for yet another award-winning, uh, world-famous episode, uh, at least in my house, of the Softy Hawk Blogger podcast brought to you by our friends over at, <laughs> let me get this right, Pagliacci Pizza. You see, it oh, just, you did it. It, became, it doesn't sound right. I think they're wrong. I, I, I don't even think they know how to pronounce their own name for crying out loud, Brian. Well, you know, they, they said uh, last week, they, they listened to what we are back and forth, and I think the, the, the statement was, there is a right way to say Pagliacci pizza, but there is no wrong way. Well, so I, I like their attitude. You know what? If they're paying for it, uh, we'll call it whatever they want, all right? Pupadachi pizza, Sokodaki wacky, <laughs> whatever they want to call it is fine by me, but what I'd, like to, uh, what I'd like to see different, though, is the Seahawks offense actually show up this weekend versus San Francisco. Uh. That was hard to watch, dude, at times during that game on Sunday and I think you're exactly right I've been watching your stuff on Twitter this week that I don't think Seahawks fans understand how truly horrific that offensive line was last weekend pal no and here's the thing is like I think we both we look at the schedule we've talked about even before the game this is a tough tough opener right like you look at the whole schedule this could have been argued maybe the toughest game on the whole schedule or close to it I think I picked the Seahawks to lose this game. I think you would maybe pick a lot of people picked the Seahawks to lose this game, but it was how they lost this game that just really stunk. I mean, the defense is where I thought, I thought they would take advantage of Shaquille Griffin. I thought that they would take advantage of Jeremy Lane and, and eventually find a way to score enough points to where the Packers would win it. Yeah. I it guess, turns out the defense played fantastic and the offensive line played like grade schoolers. I mean, I couldn't believe that they were worse than they were last year. Yeah, I uh, I thought the same thing watching the game. That, you know, last year was tough, but uh, my God, that was overwhelming uh, in the first half of that game and even parts of the second half of that game on Sunday that their offense couldn't even function because of how bad their offensive line was. So they were giving them literally no shot of, of moving the football. And what what's getting me – uh, is uh, obviously a couple things. But number one, uh, you're starting to sense, I don't know if you are or not, maybe I'm just making way too much about what Earl Thomas said after the game when he said, uh, hey, man, it's been this way for eight years, man, you know, mm-hmm. um, that there's some frustration there, that this defense continues to go out week in and week out. The Arizona game last year, the Rams game last year, the Tampa Bay game a year ago, and they bring these all-world performances where all they're asking for, Brian, it's just a little from the offense, and they can't even get that. Yeah, I, I mean, there's definitely has to be a little frustration there and a little deja vu of here we go again. And I, I just am so flustered, and I, I, I think the team is too, just uh, the, the fact that they don't need much. They don't need much from this offensive line. The way you've talked about in the past is they need to be functional. Um, you, you, you tried to get me to say, can they be average? And I was pushing against that. I don't think they can be average this year. Middle you know, ranked 15th. In the NFL, I don't think they can be, right. but can they be like good enough to where they don't completely keep the team from functioning at all. And that's where they were this week. I mean, from the very first play, first play should have been a sack. Russell finally managed to miraculously throw it away. Third play sack. You know, uh, they didn't get a first down until like into the second quarter. It, it was just, it was total ineptitude, and um, it, it's it's a shame. And and I think the other thing that that people aren't talking enough about. I mean, it's gotten a little bit of publicity, but I thought Jimmy Graham's body language looked like he didn't give a crap. I, I thought he he just waltzed through that game, 
And from that very first play, he was supposed to chip, and he just kind of put his hands to the side and right. kind of let the guy go right by him. I mean, he dropped that key third down pass. I thought he played terribly. And, and Pete Carroll, who doesn't say many bad things about people, didn't say many nice things about him this week. Yeah, when he came out the other day and said Jimmy had a hard game, that is basically Pete Carroll He's telling you he stunk. Uh, that's yeah. as, that's as far as he'll go when it comes to criticizing his own guys, and that's fine. His his approach has worked. Uh, there's no question about it. But you know, look, I mean, this is now year three for Jimmy Graham, and the idea of leaving him in a situation where you are asking him to block the smoke screen to Doug. I think it was on the second play of the game. Is that yep. right? To the right side yep. where he can't deliver a block on a corner on Devon House. Uh, I mean, it's just it's kind of time, I think, to forget it if you're Daryl Bevel. And, and I've been generally, I think, a, a Daryl Bevel supporter when other people have been there to criticize him. Uh, I think when you're working with chicken – crap it's hard to make chicken salad and in a lot of ways offensively there are things that are limiting his ability as a play caller namely his offensive line but there's no need to put Jimmy Graham in situations anymore where he's asked to do something that either a he doesn't want to do or b he can't do I'd just move the guy to wide receiver honestly right now that's what yeah. I do if it were up to me yeah at least split him out more I mean yeah. I think that's their intent but you know, when when the offensive line is playing as bad as it is, they need they need all hands on deck. And you know, I wrote about it today. Another thing that that uh, I don't, I mean, I understood why they did it last week, um, having Trey Madden on the roster instead of Marcel Reese. But Softy, I thought, okay, he's a veteran. They didn't want to guarantee his contract. As soon as Monday rolled around or Tuesday, we were going to see them bring Marcel Reese back. He is a significantly better blocker, both in pass protection and in run blocking than Trey Madden. He just is. And, and I mean, Trey Madden's a try-hard guy. He's 220 pounds. He's a former running back. Yeah. Marcel Reese is 250 pounds, and, and it's a big difference. And they need every single guy blocking. And when you have the offensive line, three tight ends, and the fullback all below average at blocking, mm -hmm. you're in trouble. Well, let's talk about, first of all, what we have on our hands here, okay? Because I know it's easy to push the panic button, and sometimes uh, it, it's kind of cathartic, uh, at least for me, uh, to push the panic button and let it all out. But they are going to get better. I don't think there's any doubt that they're going to get better. If they don't get better, then what is the point of coaches, right? If this, if this offensive line is not going to improve and the offense will not improve. That's not a concern to me. The question is, what will the rate of improvement look like? And what is the ceiling for this group? Because as, as you've said before, hey, going from the worst offensive line in the NFL to an average group, that's a pretty significant jump from 2016 to 17. So if both you and I can agree that this group is going to improve, you know, lack of a better question, will they improve enough is the, is the question. Yeah, and, and it's it's so hard to say um, from what we saw. I mean, in the preseason, it looked like the answer was emphatically yes. Like, they didn't. They looked plenty competent enough to be able to – I mean, they went up – Minnesota, they, they played a, a good front there, and they played them for a long period of time, you know, in the three, three quarters. And Riso Diamba was in there at that time and did re really well. So, I mean, it looked like – and it's not like the Vikings were not trying – um, but uh, they looked just unable and incapable in this first game. So I think I would absolutely say that my confidence in them is pretty shaken. And I think if 
if it isn't for other people, that's fine. But I think <laughs> that's wishful thinking until they prove otherwise. Well, I think there, there's two things. Uh, number one, I, I, I'd like to see what it looks like with Rawls back there. Uh, and number two, I, I want more Chris Carson, you know, um, mm-hmm. because Chris Carson yep. has bounce and Eddie Lacy does not have any bounce. And what I mean by that is, is Chris Carson has an ability to find his own running lane. All right. I mean, Eddie Lacy just seems to be the kind of guy that wants to run through contact and run through a gap, even if it's occupied by two or three defenders. And, and Carson showed that, I think, on Sunday. So they just seem to be a more functional offense with Chris Carson out there versus Eddie Lacy, at least to my eye. You agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, it was not very far into that game where I found myself saying, you know, I do not want to see Eddie Lacy get another carry in this game at the expense of Chris Carson. I mean, Carson had helped them get down the field. They got into the red zone and in came Eddie Lacy. And I was like, what are they doing? And sure enough, Lacy just kind of churned around, didn't get much. And granted, the blocking wasn't great. That's that's fine. But um, Lacy looked slow to the hole. You know, he 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 wasn't able to get uh, enough momentum to actually carry anyone with him. And Carson, you know, he's going to slam it up in there and, and get what's there. And, and I think the team absolutely needs that right now. Um, you know, look, I think first down's a key, a key thing to watch for this team. I went back and looked at their first down in that game against Green Bay. Softy, if you go or let me count this one, two, three, four, five, six, on their first six first down possessions, first down plays, they gained either zero yards or lost yards, mm-hmm. except for one where they gained two. Right. Um, you know, if you take away the, the possession at the end of the half where they got a, a couple big plays from Russell on that run and then the throw to, to Doug, start the second half, negative 10, negative 3, 0, 3. Their first down performance was, I mean, they, they averaged second and nine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for the game, yeah. and, and that's yeah. just no way to, to, to move an offense. Well, uh, and how many of those were run plays? Because Pete Carroll, what he said, I think it was on Monday, when he, he came out and said, we'd like to run the ball more. They carried the ball 18 times in the game on, on Sunday. Now, when you run, what was it, 48 plays, whatever it was overall, you're not going to have a lot of opportunities. But I, I felt like, okay, is that a quote from Sunday or last year? Because it uh-huh, just feels like right. Groundhog Day. It feels like deja vu, and it's just another example of how they, they don't have confidence in their running game right now. People get upset because they throw on first down. Well, I don't know. I mean, go back and look at all those first down plays throughout the entire game, especially in the second half. They had way more success throwing on first down than running on first down. That's true. And if you, if you want the, the facts, I mean, of their first, let's count it, uh, three, six, seven plays, yeah. five of their first seven first down plays, so five of seven yeah. were runs. Right. Right. Um, so they were trying to run it. it. The first possession is what everyone focuses on, and I think for a good reason. But they tried to run it and didn't do it successfully. And, and when they did have success in the second half, as you talked about, starting getting 11, 12, 7, 11, those were all passes. Yep. And most of yep. them were passes to Doug Baldwin. Right, right. And you know what? Uh, it's funny that you mentioned the first drive of the game because I feel like you know it can in some way set the tone if you let it. If you allow it, it can set the tone for you for the rest of the game. But that play to Doug to the sideline at the end of the first half there that preceded their scramble by Russell was like a microcosm of what we're talking about with this offensive line. Hey, just give Russell a little bit of time. 
and he's going to find a guy and then give him a little bit of a lane and he can take off because his legs are back versus where they were a year ago. That last drive of the first half, and maybe Green Bay was playing some prevent. I I, I find that a little nuts because it was a scoreless game for crying out loud. But I just felt like that first drive of the first half and the last drive of the first half was an absolute microcosm of what we're talking about with this offensive line, Brian. I agree. And and there's been people who have asked me, like, hey, you know, isn't some of this on Russell Wilson? And, uh, you know, you and I have talked about this over the years. I will absolutely put some of it on Russell when, when that's applicable. But to expect him to be productive and do anything when he's getting pressure within a second – of the snap, he's not even getting to the back of his drop before yeah. there's someone in his face. Right. Look, I mean, that's not realistic. That's not reasonable. I, I don't think it's. I don't think you need to expect that he's going to get five to seven seconds like Dak Prescott and be able to dance around in the pocket. But I mean, two seconds, yeah. three seconds. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. <laughs> right. you should be able. I don't care who you are. You should be able to block the guy in front of you for two seconds. Um, and, and that's they, they weren't getting that. Yeah, and so it, I don't think Russell's really can be held responsible for it, that. And to kind of put that in comparison, so Green Bay, I think it was on back-to-back drives in the second quarter. It may have been the last two drives of the second quarter. Uh, the Seahawks had a couple sacks on on Rodgers uh, when they dropped seven, rush four. And at some point, obviously, the offensive line's going to break down no matter you know what's happening in the secondary. Uh, the longer a quarterback holds the ball. Aaron Rodgers went down on those sacks, and he, he had six seconds to find somebody on each mm-hmm. play. Six seconds, okay? And the yeah. Hawks are dropping seven. Now, again, at some point, a Seahawk defender was able to get home, but I don't think Green Bay's offensive line is that good. And they were able to at least give, you know, Aaron Rodgers against a four-man rush a little bit of time to throw the ball. I don't know, man. It's just it's maddening because it feels like here we go again. It feels like Groundhog Day, and it feels like we're about to go down the exact same road for the next four months that we went down last year where every goddamn show, every stinking interview that we do is complaining and moaning about the offensive line, how much the offensive coordinator stinks, and how the front office has no idea what they're doing when it comes to acquiring offensive linemen. Here we go again. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I, I think I think unfortunately I I think that that's fair, and, and I, I think that that's where we are right now, and I think this weekend – Part of the, you know, what's reasonable to, to hope for is that you're, you're looking at, you know, a little bit of competence. I think you're looking at a defense that's going to have to step up again, and they should be able to overwhelm this 49ers offense in the friendly confines of CenturyLink. Right. Maybe get some turnovers, give the team, the offense, some short fields to work with, and build just a little bit of confidence. I think next week in Tennessee, we'll talk about it then. That's a tough matchup. Then they've got the Colts at home. It's another one they should be able to win. But, like, I think that um, – I, I, I would like to believe that they'll show some competence this weekend, but I don't know if that's a realistic thing mm. to expect based mm. on how they performed last week. Yeah. And the fact the 49ers have some pretty darn good players on their, their oh, front yeah. seven. Well, you know, Buckner, Armstead come to mind, obviously. Pretty decent Bowman. front seven. Yeah, no doubt about it. So this is not going to be a cakewalk for the Seahawks offense. I, I'm, I'm curious to see how much playing time Thomas Rawls gets on Sunday and where Eddie Lacy is on the pecking order because what yeah. you and I saw Sunday, the coaches have got to see that man come on right well Carson was out there first right I mean he started the game Um, and Lacey only got a few snaps and one of the things that's going to be interesting softies Lacey doesn't do anything on special teams yep so you know if Rawls is the starter Procise is third down and Carson can play special teams yeah um do you really like last week they had Rawls on inactive 
are they going to carry four active running backs and one of them is going to get a couple carries and not be yeah. uh, on special teams? Well, I let mean, me ask you this. There's a chance Lacey's not active. Well, I was going to I, I was taking it one step further. Millen was saying on the show the other day that Eddie Lacey looks like a guy that could be a candidate to get cut. I think that's possible. I mean, it's it's from a financial standpoint that would be a a challenge. You don't gain a lot by doing it, yeah. and they've already kind of yeah. paid him. Um, although they do have some bonuses throughout the season. Um, the roster yeah. spot, the the roster spot. At this point, it's a sunk cost, no matter what, right? That's right. That's right. And, and so, yeah, I I do think that that's possible. I don't think that you know Eddie Lacy to me is not a zero player. I, I think he he can add value to this team potentially. So I'm not ready to to dump him overboard, but um, we'll see. I mean, if you ask me between Carson, Rawls, and Lacey, you know, to rank them, Lacey's three out of three there. Yeah. Um, so Agreed. so that's that's kind of where things stand. Yeah, okay. Well, that was a fun conversation. Yeah. <laughs> sure, Pagliacci Pizza's getting their money's worth on the Misery Index after that conversation. Well, you know, Softy, I had family out from New York uh, and uh, for a family event, and um, – and we stress because they're always complaining about stuff. I, I, hopefully they're listening to this podcast. And uh, we didn't know what to serve them, but we decided to go with pizza. And it was pretty nerve-wracking. And we decided, no, we're going to serve them Pagliacci pizza. And, and uh, <laughs> you never know what you're going to get from these folks. They complain about all the stuff that isn't New York food. And they raved about it. So, you know, this is, this is pizza that stands up to the test of complaining Jewish New Yorkers. Wow, so uh, that's the kind of yeah. that's kind of power we've got on this podcast. Well, you know what? As long as your uh, relatives from New York are happy, then the hell with everything else. All right. <laughs> forget the Seahawks. Forget the offensive line. Forget the run game. Forget pronouncing the name of Pagliacci Pizza properly. As long as those people are content, then everything's right in the world. All right, dude. I'm ready for football on Sunday, man. I'm let's, with let's, you. Let's get a win. Let's let's have something to build on. And you know, this defense is pretty fun to watch. Oh, so let's let's oh. see that happen. And uh, we'll, we'll go from there. All right. Listen, great stuff. We'll talk in a week, buddy. See you, pal. Sounds good.